0: Hello and welcome to the Candlelit Tales podcast. I'm sitting down with my sister Soroka,
1: and I'm sitting down with my brother Aaron who just stole my water. I just borrowed a bit. You you have your own glass right there. I mean, anyway. Anyway, look,
0: we're here to tell you stories, not to bitch about water and who drank mm-hmm. what and who mm-hmm. did what when. Mm-hmm. We're siblings, sometimes we fight. Mm. We are, though, having a water-themed month. This is the month of September, it's the month of transformations, it's the month where things change as the seasons go around with it, and, well, water seems to be that constant thing in our mythology, so we want to hark back to it. Last week, or at the start of September, we told you the Selkie story. If you didn't hear that, go back and check it out. I was very excited because I swam with a Selkie. And this He's time,
1: with scene. um, yes, no, <laughs> this time, this time, we are telling one of the most well known and most beloved stories of Irish mythology. Which before hmm. this month, I didn't really like. Interesting, right? Yeah, so
0: my sister had a bit of a query with this story, and I have great fond memories of the children of Lear, and it's one of my all time favorite ones. And through a lot of conversation and digging and, well, I think, soul-searching in her own private quarters, Sorka came up Mm -hmm. with the reason why she too loves this story. Mm -hmm. So, begrudgingly as it might be Mm -hmm. for her to admit it.
1: Yep, I'm not going to admit it. Anyway, I'm going to tell you the story though, so...
0: Don't admit anything, just tell me a story.
1: Exactly. The Children of Lear Long, long ago in Ireland, when the Tuatha Dé Danann reigned this land, there came a time to choose a new high king from among them. All the kings and woman kings they gathered together in the centre, in Tara, to make that choice. And there were two who stood out among all the rest. One was Bovdarug, son of the Dag the Moor, who had been their former high king until his death, and the other was Lear, the king of the Hill of the White Field. Now there was not much to choose between the two, although Bovdarug was the son of a high king. There was something else about Lear that didn't really sit so well with the others. But the reason that they named when they chose Bovdarug to be their king was that he was married and settled, and Lear was not. And that said something about a man. As soon as their choice was made, Lear stood up without a word, walked from that hall and slammed the door behind him. Leaving in his wake a silence that was soon filled with angry muttering. Because he had not just insulted Bovdarug, their new king, he had insulted every single one of them there who had chosen Bovdarug over Lear. And so all of the kings and woman kings, they urged Bovdarug to send his armies against Lear to teach him a lesson, to bring him to heel. But Bovdarug said no. He was not going to start his reign with a war. He was going to settle this differently. And it would be far better to bind Lear to him with ties of love and kinship than to go against him and destroy him. And wreak great havoc on the land besides. So Bovdarug sent messengers to Lear, and he called together his three daughters, and he asked Lear if he would take one of Bovdarug's daughters to be his wife. It was Ave, it was Anya, and there was Efa each as beautiful as the next, each accomplished, each intelligent. And Lear, when he came to see them, it could see no difference between them. And so he thought on it, and he chose Eve to be his wife, because she was the eldest, and that seemed to him the proper thing to do. And he did not notice the look of grief that passed across the face of Aoife, middle daughter of Bovdarug. Lear brought Ave home, to his hall at the hill of the white field, and they were happy together, blissful together in fact, and there was a softening in Lear that his people remarked on, and they all accounted his wife a very good influence upon him. Their happiness increased when Ave became pregnant and she bore Lear, twins, a boy, Aev, and a girl, Finula. And they thought their happiness was almost too much to bear when she became pregnant again. But then all that happiness turned to grief in one night, when Ave gave birth to another set of twins, two boys this time, and died in childbirth. Lear was devastated at the loss of his wife. He sank into grief. And the only thing that pulled him out of that grief was his children. Fenula and Aed, the two elder. Khan and Fiacra, the little ones. And he threw himself into his children, into their games, into their songs, into their innocence. And he spent all of his time with his children, caring nothing for anything and anyone else. Now, as time passed, Bovdarug began to worry about Lear. And more importantly, he began to worry about Lear's attitude to him. That tie of love and kinship that had been his daughter Eve was gone now, and he was worried that Lear would take up his old rebellious ways. And so he went to his daughter Epha, and he asked her if she would go to Lear, be his wife, be mother to her niece and nephews. And Epha, with a swiftness and an eagerness, said yes. Lear married Epha and brought her back to the hall of the Hill of the White Field, and installed her there as his wife. And that was all he did. Eva found there was no place for her in that home. The happiness of Lear and his children left no room for anyone else, not even a stepmother or an aunt. There was nothing she could do to break into that tight little circle of love that the five of them had together. Lear had no time for her at all. He spent all of his days with his children, and what was more, the five of them slept together every night in one big bed. And however big that bed was, there was no room in it for an extra person. No space in it at all for Eva. And so she found the whole of the hill of the white field to be a cold place indeed for her. Now one day after the thousandth little slight that Lear had given her Aoife found a poisonous little thought slipped into her mind if only the children were gone I'd have Lear all to myself she pushed that thought away from her in horror it was a monstrous thought They were beautiful children. Everyone who met them loved them at once. But as the days went by, that thought, it kept coming up beneath his mind. If only the children were gone, I would have Lear all to myself. And every time it arose, she pushed it away from her with greater and greater violence. But the harder she pushed it away, the more it came back. If only the children were gone, I would have Lear all to myself. EVA became sick with that thought. She took to her bed. She wrestled with that poisonous thought for a year and a day. But nothing she did could shake it away from her. It did not stop, it always came back. And at the end of a year and a day, she stopped fighting with that thought. And instead, she opened her arms to it and welcomed it in. And when she rose up out of her bed for the first time in a year, she rose up, not just with a thought, but with a plan. Aoife went to Lear and told him that it was high time that she brought the children to meet their grandfather Bovdarug in his house at Tara. It was long past the time when it was proper for him to meet them, and they should be known by the great and the high and the powerful who dwelt there. And Lear could find no argument against that, although he did not want the children to go away. He agreed. Aoife took only her most loyal servants with her in her chariot that day, and as the children were getting into her chariot, Fenula balked. She did not want to go with her stepmother. She had to be prodded and persuaded into the back of that chariot. Now they drove off down the road, but they stopped by the shores of a lake called Loch Daravara, close to the hall of the Hill of the White Field. The day was sunny and warm and Aoife told the children to go into the water and swim to cool off. Fanula, suspicious, asked her why she wasn't coming with them. But Aoife said, do as you're told. When the four children were splashing in the water at their play, Aoife turned to one of her loyal servants she handed him a knife and she said to him go and kill the children for me he was horrified he refused utterly but so great was his loyalty to her that he said I will not do it but I will not speak of this madness to anyone else I will keep your secret for you so Epha went down to the shore of the lake She drew out a hazel wand, and she struck the four children with it, and she turned them into swans. As soon as she had done it, she was horrified with herself. What kind of a monstrous thing was this to do to innocent children? but so great had been her rage and so powerful the feeling that rose up in her that she could not undo that curse and so instead she put bounds on it she left the children their human voices and she left them their human reason and she said they would not be swans forever but would be restored to their human form in time a great deal of time, because great was the hatred of Aoife when she put that curse upon them. They would spend 300 years there on Loch Daravara, and after that, 300 years on the stormy sea of Moyle, and then 300 years on the calm waters of Loch Caramore. And their own forms would come back to them when a king's daughter from the north married a king's son from the south. And with that, Aoife mounted up into her chariot and fled to her father's house, whipping her horses as if she could outrun the terrible thing that she had done. When she got there, Bove asked her where the children were, and she told him that Lear had not let them come. Both Darug didn't think this was too strange because Lear was known for never being apart from his children but being a conscientious kind of king he sent a messenger back to the hall of the hill of the white field to tell Lear that his wife had arrived safely said Lear to the messenger and what of my children said the messenger to Lear well they never came now when Lear heard that, the bottom of his stomach dropped. He got up into his chariot without a word to anyone and set off down the road to Bovdarok's house, sure that something terrible had befallen, his children knowing it, in his bones. Lear passed by the shores of Loch Deravara, and what did he hear but the sound of his own children's voices raised in song. But this was a song he'd never heard before. Not from the four of them. The children of Leir sang only happy songs, and this was a song of grief, sung most beautifully in a four part harmony. He got down off the chariot and looked for his children all up and down the lake shore, but he could see no sign of them anywhere. Only four beautiful swans out there on the lake. Of course, as soon as the swans saw Lear, they rushed towards him. And in their human voices and with their human reason, they told him all that had happened, what Aoife had done to them in her jealousy and her rage. And Lear, he leapt back into his chariot and carried on down the road to Bovdarog's house. He took the High King aside And told him what Aoife had done and then he went back to his children and left Bovdarug to see justice done against Aoife. Bovdarug went to his daughter and he asked her what to her was the most terrible thing that a human being could be transformed into Aoife thought on this and when she answered she said that for her the most terrible thing to be transformed into would be a demon of the air with the wind always blowing cold through you no defence against the ice and snow and rain and hail always buffeted and blown and her father took out a hazel wand struck his daughter with it and turned her into a demon of the air. She rose up into the sky shrieking, and on windy nights you'll hear her shrieking still. As to Lear, he came back to Loch Derivara, to where his children were, and he brought his whole household down there from the hall of the Hill of the White Field to the shores of the lake. And he spent all day distracting his children from their circumstance, making sure that there were games and entertainments and stories, and all of their friends were there with them. And all day long they lived a life almost as they would have lived at home. But every night the children of Lear would go back out onto the waters of the lake, ...as all of the people, all of their friends, bedded down in tents... ...and out there on the waters, the four of them alone... ...they would sing a lament for all they had lost. The two are a long-lived people... ...and in this manner, three hundred years of ease and laughter... ...passed quickly for them. But at the end of those three hundred years... The children of Lear felt a tug at their breastbones, and the four of them flapped their heavy wings and rose up out of the water and flew to where they were pulled. The stormy sea of Moyle was a different place altogether. The children could see that even as they flew overhead. This grey and black expanse of water between Ireland and high-hilled alban it was no place for four swans. But they were drawn here by the curse, and by the curse they had to stay for three hundred years. There was no land, strictly speaking, in that place, but there were some craggy rocks, and Fanula found one that was just about big enough for the four of them to perch on. And she said to her brothers, let this be the place where we meet, if ever we're separated from one another. And it was well that she did that, because the storms of winter in that place were vicious. The winds came howling down, funnelled between the two coastlines, and lashed the sea to peaks. And in the first storm of that winter, it scattered The four swans before it. They were battered and blown and buffeted for three days and three nights. And wrung out and exhausted, Finola at last limped her way back to that one solitary, sad little rock. She could see no sign of her brothers. Everywhere she looked, she could see the white caps of waves. She kept mistaking them for the white feathers of a swan. She kept starting in herself, thinking she could see them. But it was a long time before she did see Aeth coming back towards her, bedraggled and exhausted. Her own twin brother, she tucked him in under the feathers of her breast and fluffed them up to warm them both. One by one, Khan and Fiacra came back to them and Fenula put Khan under one wing and Fiacra under the other, and the four of them huddled together there on the Sea of Moil. That was just a foretaste of the suffering they would endure in that bleak and terrible place. Lashed by storms, every winter the water would freeze between their toes and crack and it would pull the feathers from their bellies and then the salt water in the ocean would sting at those open wounds the frequent storms lashed them and scattered them and after every storm they had to come back together again and Fanula would hold her brothers and sing to them sing the heart back into them 300 years passed unbearably slowly But at last, at long last, they felt the tug of Aoife's spell again. And they rose up into the air and they flew back to Ireland. Their first thought was of their people, their father and his household, and so they flew by Loch Derravarra. They could see no sign of any one of the Tuathadallen there. They flew to the hold of the hill of the White Field deviating from their course as much as they could but it was nothing where their father's grand house had once been and as they flew over Ireland they noticed great changes and they realised that the Tuatha de Danann were gone from this place the people they saw were not the people of old they were a new people they had displaced the Tuatha de none of their own were there anymore None of those magical people. None of their culture, none of their songs, none of their language. It was a foreign country to them. They flew on, heartbroken, to Loch Carrowmore. And there they settled. Loch Carrowmore was an easy and a tranquil place to be. beautiful. In its way. And there they stayed, and there they sang their songs together. And there they entertained each other, with no company but themselves, but at least a little peace. And the people who lived in Ireland then, who were indeed not the Tuatha de Danann, but the Celts, they learned... ...of the magical singing swans of Loch Carrowmore. But they gave them a wide berth... ...having a mistrust of magic and the other world. Though it is from that time... ...and because of the Children of Lear... ...that no Irishman will hunt a swan. Now after a time on Loch Moor a man arrived. He was of the new people and he was strange even among them. He started to build a stone house for himself in the island in the middle of the lake. An isolated place far from anyone else. And this lone man he provoked a curiosity in the children of Leir. But when he heard the human voices coming out of the swans, he took up a cross and a book and he went out to challenge them for he assumed that they were demons. But the children did not comport themselves like demons. They called out to him a greeting, a friendly one. And he and the children began to converse. He told them his name was Malachi, and he was a monk. He was of a faith that was new to Ireland, but it was starting to catch on. And he had come there to build a life of solitude and contemplation, to get closer to his God. And they asked, and so he told them, all the stories of his God who had died for their sins who had suffered on the cross and who Malachy wanted to dedicate all of his life to. And the children of Lear were charmed by this story. And Fanula asked him, could they follow his God? But Malachi said, no, they could not. No animal could be a Christian because animals do not have souls. And the children of Lear, though they seemed reasonable, were animals still? Malachi asked them how they came to be in this predicament, and Finola told him. When we were small, it was just me and the earth, and Mummy and Daddy. And then one day, Mummy died, and the little ones were here, and Daddy everyone said that Daddy was going to die of grief. And so me and Aed we climbed up into his lap and we tweaked his beard until he laughed. We made him happy. And as the little ones got older, we taught them not to fight or fuss or ever show Daddy that we were sad because it was our job to keep him happy. So that he would not die of grief. We spent all of our time with Daddy. We played our games. We sang our songs. He sang them with us. And every day we kept him from dying of grief. And when our stepmother Aoife came, Daddy didn't have any time for her. And so neither did we. What was she to us? Just another woman just another person in the house and if she distracted us if we stopped making daddy happy well he might die of grief and so maybe we were cruel to her or cold I don't really remember but if we were it was cruel in the way children are cruel we didn't deserve what she did to us she turned us into swans on the shores of Loch de Rivara. and the funny thing is the Daddy didn't die of grief. Even though he always said he would if anything happened to us. A terrible thing happened to us. and He didn't die at all. But he brought our friends down to the lake. And by day we were happy. We made sure to be happy. But by night we were alone. And it was there in Nocteira that we found our grief and learned to sing it. After that, we came to the Sea of Moyle, and that was a terrible place, dark and stormy and cruel. There was something in the rage of those storms, something that we could feel, something that we could sing with, the rage that was in us for all that had been taken from us. And so on the Sea of Moyle, we learned to sing a song of rage. then we came here and Daddy was gone and so were they all all of our people all that we loved nothing we could do about it anymore but we've learned here as well the four of us together on our own in this quiet place we've learned to sing a song of peace This is where you find us, Malachi. The hermit and the children became great friends. And Malachi was horrified one day to see armed men come to the lake. He ran down to stop them, but they came with bird nets, and they threw them at the children of Lear dragged them from the lake and pulled them up onto the shore and the old monk was no match for them when he asked them what they thought they were doing they told him plain the king's daughter from the north is marrying today she's to wed the king's son from the south and he wants to give her as her gift on her wedding day the magical singing swans of Loch Caramore And so we are sent to capture them. And in that moment, a strange thing happened. The white feathers fell away from the children of Lear. And instead of four swans, the soldiers now grasped four ancients. They fled in horror and disgust. But Malachi greeted this development with great joy. The children of Lear had been restored to their humanity he brought them inside he baptized them as they asked him to and before they died Fenula just had enough time to tell him how they would like to be buried and according to her wishes Malachi buried the children of Lear the four of them in one grave with Fenula in the centre, Khan on one side of her, Fiacra on the other, and Aed at her breast. And some say it did not end that way. The fairy hills opened up, and the two e came out marching in all their colour, all their glory, with their banners flying. And they picked up the children of Leir and they bore them away under the hill. And sometimes, if you're very lucky, you will hear them singing from the other world. A song of joy.
0: Exactly a happy ending, is it?
1: It sure isn't.
0: So, I love this story. Uh, It gets me every time. We told it in the Harbour Bar, just uh, gone, on the 4th of September. And the audience was mesmerised in a way that was very special to watch, especially when you were telling the end of that story, because everybody in the room closed their eyes and I think it's the fact that so many Irish people have a deep connection to this story, have heard it when they were growing up, have a very emotional uh, kind of feeling with it and it just evokes a lot of loss and despair and that kind of weird happy feeling that you get after being sad. So there's kind of a lot going on in the cathartic nature of this story as well and I particularly love it. One of the first times I saw it was in the opera house in Cork. I saw it uh, dance performance and the music was amazing and it's stuck with me ever since really.
1: I think that was Swan Lake.
0: No it wasn't Swan Lake. I wasn't Swan Lake, Erica. I know it wasn't Swan Lake. I went to see The Children of Lair, all right. Okay. And it. Um, no.
1: I went to see Swan Lake.
0: That, we're different people, remember that? That's true.
1: You probably weren't born at that point. <laughs> different memories. It's very small. You are six years older than me.
0: But, although I have a very fond memory and attachment to this story, you seem to have had... Maybe you don't quite anymore. No,
1: I still do. Okay.
0: Well, please explain what's your
1: problem with the children of Lear. Okay. What's your I problem? Have many problems with the children of Lear. Tell me your problem. First of all, it's French. Okay, it's not French. It is. It is. It is a very late story, that's actually comes from a continental story. It actually comes from an Indian story. India. Yeah, I. Accept Via India. France. Via. <laughs> <laughs> I will pronounce Via in the way that I wish to pronounce it. Carry on. why you. And, and it's just like, I think, to be honest, the main reason that I'm not that fond of it is because it is the best known Irish story. Ah, you admit it. So everyone <laughs> what do you knows mean, the admit Children it? of Lear. <laughs> everyone knows the Children of Lear and it's not the best story. Okay. Do you know what I mean? It's that thing of like when your favorite band has one hit and it's kind of shit. It's one of their shitty it's songs. It's the one song, yeah, And it's yeah. the one song everyone knows. When Elbow. And when you say yeah, yeah. like, oh, I'm a really big fan of this band, everyone goes, oh, the shit song. And you're just like, ugh.
0: It's like when Elbow like, came out with Growns for, for Divorce and no one had even listened to a sleep in the back. You're like, what are you talking
1: about? Sorry. Yeah, no, I knew you'd have an actual example that made sense. thought. Um <laughs> <Damn it. laughs> But yeah, no, like, that's that's kind of, that's my thing with the Children of Blair mainly is that it's just like, uh, this is the one that everyone knows. Why this one?
0: Okay, now explain to me, explain to our listeners what you mean by it's a French story. It's an Indian story. Like, are not all stories from somewhere else?
1: Well, no, I mean, we came up with the, the beheading test story. Is it, it, The earliest known version of that is, is Irish. Okay. A lot of the Cagliac uh, stories, the Hag stories, the earliest known versions of those are, are Irish. No, I mean, there's a certain amount to be said about, like, stories especially these kind of myths and old stories don't necessarily have a point of origin and there's mm-hmm. certainly no authorship of them. But yeah, for me, culturally, The Children of Lear is a little bit of a weird one. Mm-hmm. I also, like, there's so much to not like about it.
0: Hang on, before we get into the the, the crooks and nuts and bolts of, of the actual story, because I know there are a few little points to hit on. The French story had a stranger ending where the the daughter went off. She had me. OK, so the
1: French story is a little bit different, right? The French story is quite different because it but it is also a story of long suffering females being mm. the only good thing about women, you know, like the only good woman is one who's quiet and suffering terribly. Um, but mm-hmm. the French story also has what most Irish stories don't have, which is a happy, happy ending.
0: ending. Right. So one uh, of the lads get turns back with his swan wing and that's the only well, bad just, thing. Well,
1: just to tell people <sighs> remotely what you're talking about. In the French, in the European version of the story, sometimes uh, there's seven brothers and there's one sister. The brothers are all turned into birds. In the French story, it's swans. There's a Spanish version where they are ravens. And the sister then has to spend seven years in silence weaving shirts out of nettles. Mm-hmm. And she's accused of witchcraft and she's about to be burnt at the stake mm-hmm. and she's raped by a king but it's fine cuz he's a king and they get married. And uh in the end she she manages to turn her brothers back into princes. Mm-hmm. And everybody lives happily ever after. Except for the lad with the swan. Except arm. for the one lad with the swan arm.
0: Right. uh so it it's it's the constructs that has similar ingredients. Do you know the Indian one or the origin of the Indian one? I'm is that not very... f- I'm not as familiar with that one, no. So my my kind of I guess question is if it's appropriate, if it's the ingredients of a story and the ingredients of the of the damsel in distress this female figure that doesn't have much going on for her and is only seeing in this that's not what
1: I'm saying okay I'm not she's not a damsel in distress who's rescued by somebody else she's a very active character but she her her all of her agency is tied up with silence and suffering she's not she's literally not able to speak for herself she has absolutely no voice whatsoever which is a kind of a common thing in, in fairy tales now she has a lot more agency than a lot of women in European fairy tales in that she's actually the driver of the rescue of her brothers Yeah. In fact it's a kind of a reverse of the damsel in Distress in that, in that sense yeah. And she's the rescuer and she's the one who does all this stuff um, but yeah. Anyway, listen. I'm not like.
0: No, well, sorry. I mean, so we take we take the ingredients. It's a French story. Bring it over to Ireland. Of course, we make it tragic. We make it into an absolutely they they die. It's very Catholic at the ending because they're converted in a lot of the versions and they go to heaven and that's well, the tolling of the bells. And
1: technically, that's the happy ending. Yeah, they, they go in to the, the Irish Catholic, Catholic version of it. Yeah, they get to because go to heaven. They go to heaven, right? Messed up because they die.
0: Yeah. No, I have a little bit of a. I'm kind of proud in a way that okay, we managed to take this thing and make it into our set our, our own. We did the exact same thing with the Bowron we took it from Northern Africa and put a goat skin on it and made up our own rhythms well, very similar rhythms, but made up our own way we We culturally appropriated something, made it our own, and then it really hugely signifies something that is very integral to Irish society and culture, so that 's where I fondly love. To the children of Lear story and don't mind that it has an origin somewhere else.
1: I don't mind that it has an origin somewhere else either. I just I just like I said, I don't like that the best the greatest hit of Irish mythology is a cover. Fair. You know that's that's my that's my problem with it. Like that's why I'm saying it's not it's not even that Irish. It's Fair. a fifteenth century story. It's it's actually one of our more recent myths. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really tie in with any of the kind of stories of the Tuatha Dé Danann as a body mm-hmm. Not they're, no they're very fragmentary anyway so one of the first times that I actually looked at this story a little bit deeper was with the team from Bard Mythologies who they have a website bardmythologies.com and Karina Tynan who does retellings of Irish myths mm. she has them on her website you can look her up yeah, they're amazing uh, Irish mystery told, she told a version of the Children of Lear from the point of view of Aoife, who is the wicked stepmother. Yeah. Now, I don't, I never liked the characterisation of Aoife because it's, it's very simplistic, nasty woman. Worst thing a woman can be is somebody who doesn't dote on children. You know, um, well, this is where <laughs> like, I, this is where
0: I want to get into the nuts and bolts of what you don't like about the story. Like, this is finally,
1: sh- then let me, i let me yell about it. Aaron. Well, well, don't <laughs> sh-
0: kick the chauffeur. The chauffeur didn't do anything, the elbow didn't. So, it. it has some female characters that are pretty, uh, two dimensional. So, you well, got,
1: they're one dimensional.
0: Okay, well, you got the the lust-filled, lovely Eve at the start and then she becomes angry and vicious. Yes,
1: how dare would, she have an attraction to a man.
0: Anyway, I'm not going to count anymore. Uh, the, the real ass in this is Lear, right? Like, well,
1: as far as I'm concerned, the real ass in this is Lear, but that's that's not the version that you hear. Okay, but... The l- version that you hear of the children of Lear is it Lear is... Like, there's nothing bad said about Lear. Okay, true. Generally speaking, when you heard this as a kid... There's mm-hmm. nothing bad said about Lear. When what he actually does with his family dynamic is completely fucked. Yeah. He parentifies his children, which is a form of child abuse. He makes them take care of him. Yeah. Which is really emotionally abusive.
0: Now explain that again, because you had a little bit of a click with this story. when I you did this time when this we stuff. were
1: telling it, because this was this was just the bit that I kind of, yeah, this is what clicked for me when I was retelling this. Because I never liked Lear. He's always come across to me as just a cold fish. And also somebody who has a very weird relationship with his children. Like right. that whole thing of he would have died of grief if not for his children. You know, it's it's that's the language of emotional abuse. Mm-hmm. If somebody says to you, I'll kill myself if you leave me, that's a form of emotional abuse. Absolutely, yeah. And that's essentially what Lear has in his relationship with his children. Not to mention the fact that he spends all day with them. And he sleeps in the same bed with them at night. That is not a healthy family dynamic. But that's not the way that it's told. And that's not the way that it's retold. It's told and retold in Ireland as this perfectly happy family. And then this nasty bitch comes in and fucks it all up for no reason. And the thing that clicked for me first with Karina's telling of it, where she actually takes Aoife's perspective... And has, you know, the suffering of a woman who, by the way, and like in the original myth, you do, or in the older versions of the myth, you do have that thing of Aoife spending a year in bed, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: struggling with herself.
0: Yeah, that's a great detail. And her jealousy, which is such an important
1: thing. And then, of course, the disproportion of her punishment. (sighs) You know, I mean, yeah, she does, you know, she does it. She does an unquestionably shitty thing. By taking this out on the children when it's when it's Lear that she's angry with, and Lear that she is justifiably angry with. Like, his treatment of her is not good. Yeah, yeah, no, He's really neglectful. And like that's that's kind of that's some of the stuff that I think is interesting when you're retelling this story to actually bring out those other sides of it. And to bring out like that was one of the things that Karina really picked up on was that line that if you, you know, if you listen on a windy night, you'll hear Efa shrieking. Still, mm-hmm. like the children of Lear are long in heaven, if if that yeah, story yeah, is yeah. true, and she's still and holding. she is still in torment.
0: Yeah, that's pretty disproportionate.
1: And it's it's so it's such a savage punishment as well. Like, yeah, and you, and, it, that, and and in the way that that is retold to Irish children, there's no examination of that at all.
0: No, that's true, and it's it's very much glossed over because the fairy tale, the romantic kind of attraction to it is the fact that these kids... Can stand and withstand this horrible thing by basically being together, and the, their love for each other brings them through, and they hold on to uh, their sister Fanula and the, that's kind of that's where you like you put yourself in their perspective, and you kind of forget about all, all the rest. You forget about the evil Aoife, you forget about the the father that's kind of neglectful, and you kind of forget all that stuff in the story, and you
1: kind of Well, go, okay. he's, he's the opposite of neglectful. He's he's overly involved, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but. The the I think that's the other thing that I never really connected with the with the Children of Lear. I've never... Like, there's a lot of characters like that in fairy tale, the suffering mm-hmm. innocent. Mm-hmm. And I've never had much time for the suffering innocent. Like, fucking leave. If <laughs> you have a problem with... You know what I mean? No I have, is they can't. I yeah. know, they're under a curse. And it is a trope in mythology and fairy tale, but I've... It's always one that, as a kid... I would get annoyed by.
0: It's funny because, like, no, and, and hey, everybody is 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 welcome to their own tastes. Totally, I, ho- I hope this, this is... hasn't ruined your experience of the children <laughs> earlier. By the way, listener,
1: Listen. not I'm giving out about it because I like giving out about this story. It's my favorite thing to do.
0: It's absolutely totally justified as well. Once you once you delve into it, you start looking and you start seeing the little kinks and the little things yeah. that are not done. And that's one of my favorite things about resurfacing a lot of these details, especially with you and how we go through these stories and how we make things make sense. And especially in you know the mythological cycle, we we've looked at a lot of stories and we've piece together stuff. In mean, the Ulster Cycle you have this beautiful amazing warrior woman Scock who's kind of uh, left out of the rest of the story where we're trying to piece back together bits of information and find stuff out for. All of that kind of stuff is great to piece together because that's what mythology requires. And that's well, where definitely I,
1: what Irish mythology requires because it was written down very late and a lot of it was lost. Yeah, certainly.
0: That's what I meant. Um, and so that's where I still have this allowance for you know the numbers of uh, re- repetitions of the story. They're they're all slightly different. They're all a bit oversimplistic, a bit romanticy. Yeah, they paint Lear as a good guy. Yeah, they paint Eve as a as an evil witch. But it's simplified, right? And that's like okay, that's a simplified five minute version of that story. I'll take it, fine. Uh, Ronnie Drew was a beautiful retelling up on on YouTube. It's like twenty minutes long, and yeah, it's kind of. You know, similar tones. There's the problems that you've kind of pointed out there. It's still Ronnie Drew telling a story that I absolutely love because, I for me, it's the tragedy at the end that brings about this some somehow heart-opening experience that stories just do. Like I get into the 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 feeling of going through that. Trauma, and for me the whole uh, reality of the two of the is is there because it links in with their power and their prowess and their association and affinity with swans. It makes makes sense for me, and then this like going to the other world aspect, like they either die and they're buried according to the Catholic ending, or the other version is that the hill of Crookanai opens up and a troop of fairy folk come out and drag them away and they go over to the other world and they're singing still. And that leads itself to being Irish and tragic and sad in a way that, like, it's also beautiful and you can be proud of it. And, you know, it's appropriation, it's a cultural appropriation, sure, but we've made it our own and there's enough in it that I can still get excited and sad about and correct when we retell it and make sure that we do paint Lear out in the correct way or in our way and do shine a light on Aoife being a, a human being that has suffering and she has emotions and she's needs and she has a dark side but she also was hugely ignored and hugely injured and and was very repentive and wasn't allowed to feel sad or remorseful, she was just got turned into a demon of the air, which is just ah, so yeah, this has been an interesting exploration of the children of Lear, and I hope that you have kind of enjoyed it a retelling it okay because I've certainly enjoyed the hell out of you figuring out why you came to like it or why you didn't like it so mm, much
1: it's still not my favorite. <laughs> That's okay. It's never going to be my (laughs) favourite. And like... Stop trying (laughs) to make me sell it to people, Aaron. Happy, happy, fucking happy. Do you know what I like about it? Do you know what I really like about it? What do you like about it? it? When I tell this live... Yeah. Fucking destroys people. Yeah, there you go. There you go. She has no heart. something wrong with me. I have no (laughs) heart. No heart. See, that's probably my problem with it, really. Deep down. Hmm. If I was in that story lads there's only one character I am in that story <laughs>
0: <laughs> and on that note listen thank you very much for listening to the Candle Tales podcast this has been a uh, labour of love so if you want to support it and help us do more you can find us on patreon.com forward slash Candle Tales we have loads of shows coming up this podcast has been edited and produced by Oshin Ryan and done the music by as well. Thank you very much. We have more musicians wanting to jam in on these podcasts. We have more experimentations going on with how we're going to do these. So um, give us your feedback. Let us know how you go with listening to them. Uh, We'll be back soon enough. And yeah, keep her lit.